All right, good morning and Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Feels like Christmas time. That's what my son thought. He's like, he's five. He's like, oh, it's Christmas again, I guess, because it's 25 degrees outside. Um, hey, good morning and uh, welcome. I'm glad we're together and I want to say hey and welcome to folks who are joining us in other places, not just in this room down the hall and out at Rowan County and at Bearden. And um, today we're going to be jumping back into the book of Ephesians and continuing our series, as you heard at the start of the, of the morning, uh, we're continuing our series called Live It Out in the book of Ephesians. Before we do that, you may not know this, on this very cold, crisp Sunday morning, there's a team of uh, nine guys headed to southwest Florida to, um, to work on the response to Hurricane Ian with our partners, with our denomination, Crisis Response, and with our partners at Compass Church down there. So they're on their way. They're on the road. They left at 4 o'clock, 4.30 this morning, something like that. So they're a long way down the road. Um, I just wanted to take a moment and pray for them and the work that they're going to be doing down there. So did you join me in that? Um, God, thank you for uh, this team of folks who are willing to step forward and give up a week of their lives and, um, and put forward uh, the, the money that's needed to cover costs and things like that. They, they're making a sacrifice, God, but they believe that, um, that you're worthy of their time and their money and their effort. And so they're putting it out there, God, and we're joining them in that and just watching to see what you'll do. And so we ask that you would give them everything they need, strength, um, uh, unity as a group, and that together, God, they would be able to demonstrate your love to some people. Give them ears to listen with um, compassion to people who have been suffering, and that as they respond to them, those people would see your love. And God, we ask that seeds would be planted, that the work that Compass Church is doing there um, would, would continue to, uh, in its effectiveness, and God, that people would come to you, uh, that through tragedy, uh, your light would be seen, and your name would be praised, and you'd be glorified through it all. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Important stuff going on down there. While we're here today, like I said, we're going to be in Ephesians 5. We'll get there in just a minute. Um, on Friday, I was way up on a ladder, uh, a uh, step ladder, A-frame ladder, the biggest one I've ever been on, like a 15-foot uh, A-frame ladder, and they'll let you go up to the second-to-top step. So I was on the second-to-top step uh, with not much to hold on to, uh, trying to change out a light fixture in our entryway. It's like two stories, and it's way, way up there. So I was taking down the old one and put up a new one. Pretty simple, right? Just take down the old one, put up a new one, just connect the wires. That's it. So I climbed up the ladder. It took me a little while, maybe half an hour. I got everything into place. I was about 90% done, and I realized it's not going to work that way. So I climbed back down the ladder, looked at the instructions for a second. I was like, I don't know. I put the instructions down, went back up the ladder, took everything down, started again. Put the wire through the chain, got, tried, tried to get everything in the right order, went back up, put it up there. Got about 90% done, realized this isn't going to work this way. Took it all apart, came back down. I'm not joking. I went up a third time, did the same thing, got about 90% of the way there, realized it's not going to work this way either. So I took it back down, came down. I'm not, it's not just for a sermon story. It took me four tries to put up the light. And you know what the difference was between try number three and try number four? I said, I give up. I'll follow the instructions. <laughs> I hated it. Because I glanced at him the first time, and I was like, it's just taking off the old one and putting up the new one. How hard can it be? These instructions are going to take several minutes to read. It seems unnecessarily complicated. I already know what I'm doing. 
You're laughing because we all do it all the time. You get, you get instructions. I would even call them wisdom because they're from somebody who knows better. You get wisdom from them. This is how you ought to do it. And you go, that seems harder than it should be. I bet I've got a better way. And then you realize my way is not better. It happens when you're assembling furniture. It happens with your parents. It happens all the time with God and the, and the wisdom and instruction that he gives us. And this passage that we're gonna look at today is one of those passages that sometimes I think we look at and go, that seems hard. I bet I know a better way. But God doesn't want us to do that because his way is good. He knows the best way. So we're going to look today at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 15, okay? Um, you're going to want to have it in front of you. So Ephesians journal, um, Bible, phone, wherever you need it. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. And just as we get there, just remember, this is a letter. It's not very long. Paul is continuing in what he's been writing. At the start of chapter 4, he said to the Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And that's what we're talking about in Live It Out. How do we live that out? How do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, the identity that God has given us in Christ? How do we walk that way? And at the start of chapter five, Paul says, walk in love. So we we're saying, okay, we gotta live out love. Last week, further on in chapter five, he says, walk as children of light. And so we've been saying, okay, how do I live out light? And now he's gonna continue with this very practical instructions to those of us who are in Christ. How do we live out that identity? Verse 15, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We'll stop there. We're actually gonna continue looking all the way through chapter six, verse nine, but let's stop there. What Paul is saying is, at the very beginning, look carefully at how you walk. He's like, don't just, don't just start going. Don't just start putting up the light. Look carefully at how you walk, at how you live this out. And he says, don't waste your time. Instead, make the most of it. Because, he says, because the days are evil. And you go, this was written a long time ago, but is that the situation we're in today? And I would say, is that a good way to describe the world we live in? The days are evil? Yeah, I think that, that rings very true to me. The days are evil. There's a lot wrong around us. So Paul says when that's the situation, don't waste time. Be intentional about how you live this out. And as he gives instructions on how we're supposed to do that individually and corporately together, the big idea here, what comes through in this passage is that it's my identity in Christ that calls me to live out spirit-filled wisdom. That's what we'll call it, okay? It's my identity in Christ calls me to live out what we're just gonna call spirit-filled wisdom. See where he says that here? He's saying, um, walk in wisdom. Walk as wise, not as unwise. And this is God's wisdom. Not mine, not yours. It comes from God. So it shouldn't surprise us 
that it seems maybe um, for sure countercultural and maybe even counterintuitive. It shouldn't surprise us that God's way of doing things is different than the way we would naturally do it. So I hope that you will pay attention to this passage because your own, um, your own logic and intuition will not lead you to God's wisdom. We need his word and his spirit to lead us there. That's why we're looking at this passage today. So Paul says to them, walk in wisdom. Um, it's, it's the kind of wisdom that at first glance, it'll make you say, well, there's gotta be a better way. Let me, let me try it my way. But Paul warns, he says right here, don't be foolish, but understand what Jesus wants you to do. Don't be foolish. That's, that's the way you'll naturally go. Instead, understand what Jesus wants you to do. Because this is wisdom that only makes sense if God really is who he says he is and that we really are who God says we are. It's about our identity in Christ. So it's my identity in Christ that calls me to live out this kind of spirit-filled wisdom. And the first thing that he mentions as he talks about this life, this life of spirit-filled wisdom is he says, don't get drunk on wine. Now, it seems like that kind of comes out of nowhere in this passage. I'm sure, and I know that drunkenness must have been a problem among the people who heard this letter then. It's a problem among us today. But Paul specifically seems to be drawing a contrast between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit. He says, he says if you're filled with alcohol, if you're drunk, if you're filled with alcohol, it leads to a particular kind of living. The word he uses is debauchery. And what that's really about is a wasteful kind of living. Like a kind of life that is, you're wasting your body. You're wasting your life. You're not using it wisely. He's saying, be careful how you live. You, if, you're, if you're drunk, you're wasting your life away. But instead, but be, be filled with the Spirit. And he says, when we're filled with the Spirit, that leads to a different kind of living a kind of wise living. And what it looks like is spirit-filled wisdom, this life we're called to, this life we're supposed to live out, it looks like a thankful and submitted life. When we're careful about how we live, when we pay attention to God's wisdom, the kind of life, it's not a checklist, it's a life that comes out of that, is thankfulness and submission. So that's what Paul talks about here. He says we do it by the spirit. So it's not... This isn't something that we go, okay, now I know I gotta I got be thankful and I gotta submit. I gotta work really hard on those. What he's saying is be filled with the Spirit. And for some people, that phrase is a little bit of a hang-up. They go, what does that mean? I thought when, when, when I come to Christ, when I put my life in him, then doesn't the Holy Spirit come into me? Am I not filled with the Spirit then? Yes, but Paul's using language that's actually familiar to us. Like, um, if someone is grieving, that's one thing. If somebody is filled with grief, we know that kind of language. It looks different. They were grieving. They had grief in them before, but when they're filled with grief, it dominates their persona. It dominates their demeanor. It comes out in everything they do. They're filled with grief. Someone might have joy, but we know that it looks different when someone is filled with joy, right? Because it just comes pouring out of them. And that's what he's talking about here, that everyone who's in Christ has the Spirit. But he's saying live in such a way that you're filled with the Spirit, 
That it's just that God's spirit is coming out of you in, in your demeanor. It's dominating who you are and what you do. That's what he's talking about. And when we live that way, when we live spirit-filled, filled with the spirit, we allow him to touch every part of our being, and we do things like this. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God. Giving thanks always and for everything. That's a thankful lifestyle. Whatever situation I'm in, I'm always giving thanks. You read that and you go, okay, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. That doesn't necessarily sound like wisdom. In fact, when, we, when you read that, it might sound like the person who is always thankful in every situation, even when things are bad, if they're thankful, when you see someone like that, do you sometimes think, well, they're out of touch with reality? Isn't that sort of a Pollyanna kind of, oh, a pie in the sky, everything's always good, even though everything's bad, I'll just say everything's good. It seems like that could be living out of touch with reality. What Paul is saying is no, to be thankful always and for everything is to live in reality. If you know reality, if you know who God is and what he's done, if you know your identity in Christ, if you know who you were, and where you are now. If you knew what you deserve and what God has given you instead, that, when you understand that reality, that's thankfulness in every situation, always and for everything. So it's thankfulness. Verse 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean to, to submit to one another? Um, it's, it's the picture that we get all the time of life in the body of Christ, that we're to submit to one another. Philippians 2 gives us great tangible instructions of what does it look like. How would you and I, as followers of Christ, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another? Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. It's like this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't just try and put yourself, don't, don't do things to put yourself on top. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's submitting to one another. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to give us a picture of the way that Jesus lived, what he did, that he didn't count equality with God, something to be just held tightly to, but instead he let that go and stepped into humanity and came among us and lived and died for our sake. That that should be the kind of mind we have with each other, one of submitting to each other. It means things like counting others more significant, not better than, but more significant than yourself. Don't, not just looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. No superiority and, an in, and inferiority. It's not about that. It's not about force being applied on each other. Instead, it's willing and joyful submission. So if that's the life we're supposed to live, thankfulness and submission, then what does it look like to actually live this out? This is what I love about this passage. Paul doesn't just say, do these things, live this way. Okay, go for it. Instead, he gives some concrete examples of what it lo li looks like to live this way. We need that. So he gives some examples of living a thankful life. He says a thankful life is, this is the way I, I think of it, a thankful life is full of remembering, reminding, and gratitude. Now, I know I could have said remembering, reminding, rejoicing, but it just seemed a little too sing-songy, so um, I didn't do that. But it helps you remember it, then put rejoicing in there. But I'm thinking about remembering, reminding, and gratitude. 
verse 19. He says, this is, this is the way we live when we're filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's, I don't think a thankful life is just about singing, but let's not say, I, I, I got a better idea than what, than what Paul's giving us here, than this wisdom. Instead, let's go, okay, what is the connection here? And I do think there is something about the way we speak to each other, the way we remind each other, the songs that we sing with and to each other that have an impact on the thankfulness, the gratitude we have as we remember what's true about who God is and what he's done and who we are. It's why we come and worship together. I can remember, oh, I don't, it was a month or two ago. I was here on a Saturday night, and I came home, and uh, my wife, Kara, said to me, oh, how was church tonight? And maybe she texted it to me, even. I think that may have been, I can't remember. All I know is my answer was not, um, oh, sang songs I loved, or the sermon was amazing. I don't remember who was preaching. I don't remember who was leading worship. But my answer to, who was, to her was, it was good. I think I'm just the kind of person who needs this more than once a week. Like I walked out on Saturday night going, I needed that. Not because there was a point in the sermon that I said, oh, that's the thing I need, and I wrote it down, and I stuck it on my mirror to remember. I just walked out knowing I needed to be reminded that all of that's true. I needed to hear other people singing. I needed to hear scripture read. I needed to hear somebody else praying. I needed that to remind me, you know? That's, we need that if we're going to live a life of, a spirit-filled life of gratitude towards God. We need those reminders. We need to remember. It leads us to gratitude. So I encourage you. I mean, it's why, you, if you come to Quiet Waters next week, Thursday night and Friday, if you, if you come to Quiet Waters, I, if you've never been there before, the first time I went, I was like, wait a second. This isn't quiet. <laughs> everybody's singing, there's drum. You know, I just, I wasn't, I don't know what I was expecting. I thought maybe we were all just gonna sit very quietly, soft music playing over. No, we sing and we worship God together and we read scripture together. That's such an important part of it is to be reminded together. Um, if you're self-conscious about how you sing, I just think singing, singing the truth of who God is um, is, is important. Paul says, says that here. I think we ought to try it. And if you're self-conscious about singing, Here's a couple of tips. One, go out to the Smokies. Find a trail that nobody's on. Sing your heart out. Nobody else is gonna hear you but the bears. There's nobody else out there. And if that's too far to drive, mow your lawn. You'll be able to do that soon. Sing while you mow your lawn. Put some headphones in. As long as you don't have an electric mower, nobody's gonna hear you. But get, just take a moment and let your voice break open to God. That's what he's talking about here. Making, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Um, he mentions the Psalms specifically. There are some Psalms that tell you to be thankful, uh, that say, you know, be thankful, sing praise to the Lord. Those are good, read those. There are other Psalms that for me, they don't necessarily tell me that, but when I read them, they fill me with thankfulness to God. Because it's like, it's this little picture that somebody wrote 2,500, 3,000 years ago. I can't even wrap my brain around that. Some ancient person wrote down their story, their little song about where they were in the dirt and God pulled them out of it. And I read it and I go, that's my story. And when I read that, I go, I, I can't help it. I don't have to try and be thankful. I'm just thankful, you know? So find those psalms, find those. And the only way you're gonna do that is if you read them. I'll give you a few that, have, that do that for me. Um, 
or friends of mine who mentioned them to me, Psalm 96. I put these on the bulletin. Psalm 96, Psalm 103, Psalm 107. When I read those psalms, I go, oh God, you've been so good to me. It stirs up thankfulness in my heart. So we're supposed to live a thankful kind of life. And I'll be honest, I think maybe that's easier for us to picture. Maybe not easier for us to do, but easier for us to at least picture what would that realistically look like. But the other piece of this, this submission part, is I think sometimes harder for us to wrap our minds around. What would it look like for me to live a submitted life? What is a submitted life? Here's a few things to help us imagine how that looks. Paul helps us out. First, it's submitting to Christ. It begins there, okay? So we're not going to read through straight through the rest of this passage. You're going to do that this week in the Live It Out. It's super important to do that. We're not going to read straight through it here. But what you'll see when you do that is over and over again, all of these instructions that Paul gives about wives and husbands, about children and fathers, about bondservants and masters, in all of those instructions, in every one of them he comes back to, do it as unto Christ. That's what he's always saying. He's like, just like you submit to Christ, you submit in relationship with each other. And the way we submit to Christ is not begrudgingly, you know? It's not like, no, fine, you'll crush me if I don't, so I have to submit to you. It's supposed to be joyful submission. Look at the beginning of this chapter, 5, verse 2. Paul says, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The idea is that we look at what Jesus has done for us, and then we say, I want to submit to him. He's smarter than me. He's better than me. I trust him, so I want to submit to him. That's where a life of submission begins, submission to Christ. All of that leads us to submit to him. And then it's not just to him, but he says, out of reverence for him, out of reverence for Christ, then we submit to each other. And that's where Paul goes in the rest of this passage. He just gives some, some examples of that. But let me say, this is countercultural. This is upside down kind of living. This is, it's anti, it's like, it's against the American way in a lot of ways. I mean, the way we just think is, I have to be on top, otherwise I'm going to get stepped on, you know? I don't, I'm not going to put myself under somebody else because that's a dangerous place to be, and nobody treads on me. That's just the way we think. Like, no, stand up for yourself. Get yourself on the top of the pile because then you can be in control. It's just not the way of Jesus. It's not the way that he says to live. And he's not talking about like, oh, think that other people are good and that you're not so great. No, he says, actually, as believers, we are supposed to submit to one another. We're supposed to put ourselves below one another. It's not easy to do. It's not natural to do. But it's the wisdom that he calls us to do. And it only makes sense. It actually is crazy to live that way. Unless there is a God who says, humble yourself before me, don't worry, I'll lift you up. That's what, that's what James 4 says. Humble yourself before God. Put yourself low before him. You don't have to worry. He's gonna lift you up. We all need to be lifted up, but we're terrible at lifting ourselves up. When we lift ourselves up, we make disasters of our lives and the lives around us. But when God lives us, lifts us up, he's glorified. 
So that's the way we're supposed to live. Jesus always taught this. He said, when you, go to a, when you throw a party, don't invite people who can return the favor. Invite people who can never pay you back. Put yourself low. I'll take care of it. I'll settle the score. I'll reward you. He said, when you go to a party, don't sit up next to the, next to the host who can maybe, you know, uh, give you a little something. You know, instead, instead, sit way down at the end of the table. Sit, sit, sit where the nobodies are. Don't worry about it because God is going to settle the score for you. He will lift you up. He is watching what's happening. So he says we're supposed to live that way. Jesus lived that way. He didn't just say it. He did it. What did he do with his disciples? He said, you want to be great? Let me show you how you be great. He got down on his knees. I mean, literally got down on his knees and washed their dirty feet. He's God, (laughs) you know? If he just needed them to have clean feet, make their feet clean. He can do that, you know? Instead, he got down because he wanted to show them, this is how I live. He didn't just talk about it. He did it. He suffered and died on the cross. He submitted himself to those who were weaker than him, to those who were not on his level, to those who were wrong about so many things, but he submitted. He said, this is the way to be great, is to be a servant. And so we're supposed to live that way with each other. A great way to practice this is in a group. Group signups are going on today. Whatever campus you're on, group signups are going on out in the lobby. Get in a group. Find some other people. If you go, okay, I want to I learn to live the way that God's called me to do, get with some other people and practice that. And uh, it might be fine on a few nights, you know, um, but as you start to spend more time with each other, when you start to realize they have needs, I want to talk about my needs. Why are we talking? Because, but we go, no. Listen, I'm not going to just worry about my needs. Here's somebody who needs someone to encourage them, to pray for them, to listen to them, to lift them up. Okay, I'm going to submit myself. I'm going to put myself below them, and I'm going to pay attention to their needs, not to mine, because I know God's going to take care of me. If we all start living that way, that changes the nature of the family that we're a part of, changes the practical reality of it. But honestly, doing that in a group is just a warm-up. That's, that's just getting started because it's one that my group meets on Tuesday nights. It's one thing to do that on Tuesday night or to sign up for Serve Saturday and for half of a Saturday be like, my, it's not about me, it's about you. And you can do that for half a day. But what about the people you live with day in and day out? Could it really be possible to submit one to another in those relationships? I think that's why Paul talks about those relationships next. And this passage... Um, this next passage, people have misused it. Uh, they, they've misused it to say uh, men are above women. Um, men need to make decisions. Women shouldn't make decisions. People have used this passage to say that. It's not what this passage says. They've used it to say, see, slavery is good. Slavery's all right. As long as you're a good master, slavery's all right. Neither of those things are true. I just want you to, to know that. Neither of those things are true. But what we don't want to do is come to this passage and make the same mistake and say, well, I want it to say what I want it to say. We want to come at it and go, okay, what is God trying to say through Paul here? So rather than reading that whole, like I said, you're going to read this whole, whole passage this week and live it out. We're going to look at, we're going to read um, 
As sort of a summary, Colossians chapter 3, Paul just summarizes this. He's writing this letter at the same time. and He's writing Colossians at the same time as this letter. And uh, he just gives a condensed version of this. He says it in a lot fewer verses. So let me read that to you. It'll be on the screen. But Colossians 3, starting in verse 18, says this. Wives, this is like the, the Cliff's Notes version, all right? Condensed down. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward." You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. So to the Colossians, Paul gives this condensed version, but it's about the same thing. And you might read that and go, these are hard words, and I don't think it could possibly mean what it says. Well, let's try and understand what it says. It starts with Paul in verse 22. We're back in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. See, I knew it. He's trying to put one group on top of another group. I'm telling you, he's not. He is saying what he says in verse 21. Remember, verse 21, Paul is saying, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, the re- and, and I know he's just continuing that point in verse 22 when he speaks to wives. The way we know that is because in Greek, there is no verb submit in verse 22. The word submit is not in verse 22. It's in verse 21. And verse 21 and verse 22 are talking about the same thing. Is, here's another way, you, um, another way you could read it, is that he's saying, submit to one another out of reverence for, uh, for Christ. Wives, to your own husbands. So he's just continuing. He's saying, hey, as believers, you're going to submit to one another. You're each going to put yourselves below the other. So wives, the way you'll do that is you'll, you'll, you'll do that with your husbands. That's, that's all he's saying. Be careful. He's not saying women. You'll do that with men. This isn't about women versus men. It's about the way that wives relate to their husbands. They submit to them. And then he says, husband. This is all the same. This is verse 21 played out in the rest of these. So his instructions to men are for men to submit to their wives. We know that because the whole thing is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what each one of these is. Submit to one another. It's all about mutual submission. So he says to wives, wives, do that with your husbands. Men, I've got more instructions for you. You'll notice the passage to husbands is a lot longer than the instructions to, to, to wives. I don't know exactly why that is, why the husbands need more instruction. I'm not the least bit surprised. <laughs> it makes sense. Um, they need some further instruction. And so Paul says to them, uh, husbands, love your wives. That's his instruction to them. He, he goes beyond just submitting. Yes, they submit. But even beyond that, he says, husbands, that you are supposed to Love your wives as love your wife as Christ loved the church. Um, submit, and the weight of that submission is going to look like love. Now you might read that and go, "I don't buy it. That doesn't sound fair." 
wives have to submit and husbands get to love. Like love sounds like more fun than submitting. Remember in all of this, he's talking about submitting and when he's, so it's just the, the way that he's instructing them to submit is by loving. And you go, well, okay, what kind of love is he talking about? Look at what it says. What kind of love? Like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does it mean that Jesus gave himself up for the church? It means he died for us. So Paul is saying, husbands, you need to submit to your wives. You know what that looks like? You give yourself over to them. You're willing to lay down your life for them. You're willing to lay down your life, your desires, your wants, your priorities. You're willing to submit to your wife. She's submitting to you. You're submitting to her. You're laying down your life and loving her the way that Christ loved the church. So at the end, verse 33, he says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He says to husbands, I'm talking to you. Let the wives worry about what they're going to do. He's not saying, husbands, make sure your wife submits. And he's not saying, wives, make sure your husband loves. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, husbands, this is what you do. Wives, this is what you do. If everybody does what they're supposed to do, then you don't have to poke each other about it. And I would say, if, if your husband is saying, you gotta submit to me, there's something wrong, and you should get counseling about it. You really should get help about it. Like, if, if that's the nature of your relationship, you go, that's a red flag. That's not what Paul is describing. It's not, husbands, make sure your wife submits. It says, no, husbands, love your wives. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we submit, husbands and wives, we submit in families. Um, this, this one seems pretty straightforward and not surprising. Paul goes on to say, children, obey your parents. But let me just say, if you're a, if you're a kid listening today, okay, if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, um, if you're listening to this message today, it says, children, obey your parents. Pay attention to what Paul writes there. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. Paul is saying, God is saying to you through, through scripture, he's saying you don't just obey your parents because it's right, but because it's part of your relationship with God. If you wanna, if you go, I wanna, I'm following Jesus and I wanna go his way, part of that is, God, I love you and I wanna follow you and because of that, I'm gonna follow my parents. Even if I'm not sure they're right about what they're saying, I'm gonna follow them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna obey them because I wanna honor you, God. In verse two and three, he says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that, that you may live long in the land. He says, it's wise. It'll actually go better for you if you live this way. And so again, kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, obey your parents. Here's not just because they know everything. It doesn't say they know everything, so just listen to them. Instead, I'll, give you, I'll let you know a secret. Your parents don't know everything. They're figuring it out as they go, okay? They're doing their best. They're trying to figure it out as they go, but God's wisdom for you is this is the best way to live, is to live in submission to them. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're gonna... 
you're a follower of Jesus, your parents aren't just your parents. They're your brother, your sister in Christ. So just like we all are to submit one to, any, one to another, you submit to your parents. And he says the same thing to fathers. And I think we can, take, we can apply that to mothers too, that we're submitting to one to another. Your child, if they're a follower of Christ, is your brother or sister in Christ. And so fathers and mothers, you are to submit one to another, submit to your children, what could that possibly mean? How could that look? He says in verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does it look like for a parent to submit to their child? To not provoke them to anger. Um, in Colossians, the way he puts it, he says, don't discourage them. Like if you, kids are still learning. I mean, I know we all are, but kids are still learning. So if you have a child and you've asked them to do something. You expect them to do something, and they don't get it right, or they don't do it every time. You're like, why isn't it getting through to them? My natural reaction is to go, you are messing up my plan, and it's making me angry, so I'm gonna make you angry. That is, and submitting to your children is to go, you don't know everything yet. I don't know everything yet, but we're learning together. And so instead of making you angry or discouraging you or pushing you down, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to come down to your level and help you along the way. It doesn't mean that we don't discipline our children. It doesn't mean that we don't teach them. Paul literally says to discipline them. He says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, but not in a way that makes them discouraged or angry. Instead, we submit to their weakness. This is how we do it one to another. We realize everyone in the body of Christ is a sinful person who is weak, and I'm not going to put, I am too, so I'm going to submit to them because I know that God is going to take care of all of us. That's a life of submission. And then that's in families. And in the last one, he says, submitting in, he's talking about submitting, I'll just say submitting in all of relationships because the last one he addresses is bondservants and masters. And we don't have a good analog to that. We don't have a good, um, we don't have that same situation in our lives, okay? Paul is writing to a specific kind of situation, bond servants and masters. The word is also translated, it's actually more literally slaves. The ESV uses the word bond servants because it's, um, it, it helps highlight that slavery at that time was different than slavery in North America, um, parts of Europe in the 17th, 18th, and 19th century. But we don't need to get too deep into all of that because the slavery we had here was terrible. The slavery they had there was terrible. It's not like, oh, it wasn't a bad thing. So masters and slaves, don't worry about it. No. But what Paul is doing is saying, it doesn't matter what situation you're in. Good situation, bad situation. In every case, we are supposed to live in submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so Paul doesn't seem particularly interested in ending the institution of slavery in this passage, but he is absolutely saying for Christians that that relationship, even that relationship, must be radically transformed. And so he speaks, as he does in all of these, first to the weaker party, the party that's lower on the social hierarchy, that's the way it was in their world. Wives, he spoke to them first, then to husbands, children, and then to fathers, and then bond servants, and then to masters. And he says, obey your masters um, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. 
He says you don't just do it as people pleasers. You don't just do it so you, so you look good, but you do it not like you're working for them, but you're working for Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. He's saying whatever situation you're in, work like you're working for God. And so I think it's, it, it's, it's not the same, but maybe one way we can apply this is to go, okay, how would this work out for us as employees and employers? It's not the same thing. That's not the situation he's addressing there. But the principle is true. He says, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. So it doesn't matter what situation you're in. This ancient thing about how slaves and slave masters relate to one another I think can actually be good news for us today. I mean, like, if you work for a terrible boss, isn't it good news to hear, hey, when you go in, if you were, or you work in an environment where maybe your boss is fine, but nobody's giving you the credit that you deserve, and your inclination is to go, I'm gonna knock some of these people down so they see I matter more than them. Instead, Paul's saying, no, submit one to another. Put yourself low because God sees it. Do your work like you're working for God. That's good news when you go, "Eh, they don't get it. They don't get what I'm contributing here. But God does. He sees. I don't have to worry. He he is with me. He's got me. He will take care of me. That should should have the power. Living in that kind of submission should actually, it's God's wisdom that it could actually make our lives better, not worse, to live his way. Paul writes, if you go, okay, that's for us, but what about this deal of slaves and and masters? How can Paul write the things that he writes here? This week, go and read the book of Philemon. In fact, we're going to have you do it and live it out, um, I think, on Wednesday. Uh, And we're going to have you listen to it three times. It takes less than 10 minutes to listen to this. Less than nine minutes to listen to Philemon three times. Um, But do that. Listen to it and see what instruction God gives. It's an amazing little letter that Paul writes because it's not a letter to a group of people. It's a letter applying this to a slave owner, to one of these masters, about one of his slaves who's a brother in Christ. Just go look and see what he says to him about how this should play out. It's, it's radical. Paul was taking a, he was bringing God's wisdom and it's a radical viewpoint in the world that he lived. Um, so we wanna live that way in submission in all of our relationships. Oh, the last verse, Ephesians 6, 9, Paul says, masters. Now, he, those are instructions to to. Bond servants. Now he says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Paul ends here. He says, Look, there is a. He says, Slave masters, you think that you're above these bond servants. You're not above them. There's one master. You are not the master. There's one master. He is the master. 
And he doesn't play games. There's no partiality. He, you're not his favorite because you're in charge. It's what he said to husbands at the time in that culture. Husbands were on top. Wives were, were pushed down to the lowest rungs of society. And he's saying, look, there's only one master. Husbands, you are not in charge. God is in charge. So you submit one to another. Fathers, children, same thing. He, Paul is saying there's a hierarchy in our world. But the world's hierarchy falls apart before God. Those who are above on the org chart of society and those who are below are all equals before God. There's one master. There's one judge. And because of that truth, we can live in mutual submission to each other. We can love one another sacrificially. And when we do that, that changes everything. Now let me just say, what if it's not mutual submission in the spirit? What if you're in a situation and you go, I'm submitting, but my spouse is lording it over me. Um, you're a child and you're submitting, but your parents are hurting you. That happens. Unfortunately, we live in a broken world. Um, what about slavery? There, you've heard the stats. There are more slaves in the world today than at any point in human history. So this abusive kind of relationship of slavery or it can happen in parenting and it can happen in, in marriages. What if that's going on? We have to use discernment. This isn't a list of rules. It's a, a way of living in the freedom that Christ has given us. It's not a list of rules. And so we don't just go, well, I have to submit. No, you need wisdom and discernment there. And so I would just say, if you are in a situation or you someday find yourself in a situation where you go, I don't know if it's good for me to submit here, get help about that. Get wisdom about that. Talk to your small group leader. Talk to one of the pastors here at the church. Go, I'm not sure about this. Okay, let's use God's wisdom and try and figure out what it looks like to follow him in the current situation you're in. But when we do that, when we live this out, look back in this passage. There's a, there's a, a couple of verses we didn't read um, in chapter 5, verses 30 to 32. He says when we, he's talking to husbands and wives, but it applies to all of these relationships. When we do this, because, verse 30, because we are members of his body, Christ's body, therefore, he quotes Genesis 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He says that when we submit to each other, when we act like we are one and we, submit, and we don't need to look out to our own interests, but we submit to one another, when we do that, it's a picture of the way that Christ loves the church and of the unity that we have in the church. It's a picture of that. It's a picture of unity, that we are one with Christ. The world needs to see that. It's wisdom, not just for you, but for the world. And even, you might remember, in Ephesians 3.10, Paul says that's a picture, not just for the world that we see, but for the, for the authorities in the unseen realm, for the powers that literally angels and demons are watching the way that we live with one another. And when we show our unity in Christ... They see the wisdom of God. That's a powerful thing. So let's live that way. Some next steps of how we can do that. Um, one is just a little prayer. To take this from something we think deeply about on Sunday morning to something we live out every day. Just a little prayer to pray every day. Starts with, with words from chapter 5, verse 2. Just starting with, Jesus, you loved me and gave yourself for me. 
Teach me today to submit to you and trust you enough to live a submitted life in all my relationships. This is about a spirit, living out spirit-filled wisdom. So we need to ask for his help, for his spirit to do this in us. And the second part of that, second next step there, is just to do that, live it out, to engage with this passage in God's word, to engage with God by his word and by his spirit every day this week. And we put that prayer in there. That'll help you do that once a day, twice a day, three times a day, whatever you want to do, to make that part of your rhythm this week and then to see what God does with it. Because when we see the beauty of the cross, when we're reminded of God's great love for us, when we're reminded that he laid down his life for us, we can lay down our lives for one another. It's what we need and it's what the world needs. And so we're gonna declare that to God. We're gonna respond to him by worshiping him before we're done today. Before we do that, I just wanna pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that you've shown us a better way um, a way that's better than our way, than our wisdom. It's a way of thankfulness and submission. It is not easy, but it's good. It is not intuitive, but it's right, and it's better, God. So teach us to walk in that freedom. Gratitude to you, submission to you, and out of that love and submission with one another, God, that you would receive all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.